Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. So my name is Beth Schmidt, and this is the beginning of a new series that we're starting. Um, John, Pastor John, is doing uh, illumination that Christ is the light, and talking about light in all these different ways. And um, the Lord's laid on my heart for a number of years, actually to be looking at his covenant. And as we look at the light and what God has done um, for us, these two are going to dovetail as we work our way through the series. So I'm looking at our God is a covenant-keeping God. And so um, uh, Sharon is the one who produces our slides, which I think she's done a wonderful job on it. My question for you is, do you... Trust God fully. Is your trust fully in our Creator? And do you feel confident in His love? Or sometimes are you filled with doubt that He loves you? Maybe you didn't perform the way that you think He wants you to, and so you wonder, has He withheld your love? You may have been raised with a conditional love in your home, and you kind of put that on God and think his love is conditional. Conditional on your performance, on your goodness, on your keeping away from sin. Well, then he'll love you. But he talks about his love is a constant love. He's unchanging. He doesn't fluctuate like we do, where one day is a good day and another day is a bad day. His love is constant. And are you fully convinced of his constant love for you, no matter what. And do you know um, his heart for you? So that's really what our covenant-keeping God is all about, that God is a covenant-keeping God. He's not one who says, well, if you do, then I will. He just is. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over this next little while. And um, in order to do that, like covenant really is the big picture. It's the grand scheme of all the scripture that our God is a covenant-keeping God and that his covenant is based on love. And so for this um, next series, we're going to be looking at that big picture of how, like the context of covenant, the context of what God is doing for us. Now, a couple of years ago, we looked at, in a big picture sort of way, the kingdom of God. And you say, well, I thought the big picture was the kingdom of God. And now you're saying the big picture is covenant. But these two go hand in hand. The kingdom of God is about being in covenant with him. And looking at covenant and understanding covenant, and he gives covenant to us in a number of different um, ways, pictures, but the biggest is going to be through our Lord Jesus Christ to understand his covenant through Jesus. But the, the meta-narrative always through scripture starts with God's creation, the fall, 
then redemption, and then restoration. And you'll see that picture through each individual account in the scriptures, as well as the big overarching theme, is that God creates, we reject what God has put in place, he redeems us from that rejection, and he restores us into what he intended right from the beginning. And so we start today with looking at that creation right from the beginning. So we kind of stumble along. We, Like I say, we have good days, we have bad days. We have days where we can look back on the day and say, that was a good day. And what I did, like we can think of some things that were really great that we did. And then there are other days where we think, oh, I did that terrible. I, I shouldn't have said this or I shouldn't have done that. And they're, they're not so great. And we kind of stumble and we get up again and we carry on and we stumble and we carry on. God's not like that. He is consistent. He never changes. He's always loving. He's always reaching out to us. His covenant of grace sustains us even as we're kind of, you know, bouncing up and down. And so um, in understanding that God is our covenant-keeping God, it's not just, this isn't just a learning exercise. It's really about seeing the heart of God. And when we see somebody's heart, it's like an action. When you see um, the motive behind somebody's action, it, it helps us to understand why they did what they did. And to, um, in a lot of times when we see, you know, their intentions were good, then we say, oh, well, then I reinterpret those actions. It's the same way with God. When we understand his heart, then we understand all these things that we read in his scripture, all these different accounts, and why God did things the way he did them. And so I'm hoping that as we look at this covenant with God, that we really see um, his heart. So the question is, are we living in the security of his unfailing love? So how did it all start? What is the beginning? And like all, all accounts, we begin at the beginning. So guess what's the beginning of the scriptures? Genesis 1.1. And we're going to work our way through the whole Bible. So um, Genesis 1.1 starts with what? <clears throat> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so um, that's where it all started. And the account is given to us in that first chapter of the book of Genesis, and I'll just quickly summarize it. I won't read the whole thing, but I will read a number of scriptures out of Genesis 1 and 2. So um, it says there that the first on the first day, so it's got this rhythm to it. You know, there was, um, you know, evening and morning, and that was the first day, and it, it's got this rhythm. And so on the first day of creation, God separated the light from the darkness. And so there was um, darkness and there's light and he separated the two and he called the one day and he called the other night. And so that was the first day. The second day, he separated the waters, the waters above from the waters below, it says. And so the ex he has the expanse and we have the waters above the expanse and the waters below the expanse. The third day, he separates the dry land from the sea. And the water bodies he calls the sea, and the dry land he calls earth. So you see in one, two, and three, he's setting it up. He separates out. 
And in the fourth day, he starts to fill it. So on the fourth day, you go back to day one, and you see that he um, fills the expanse. And so that's where he puts in all of the stars. That's what you do when you've got kids. You always do the stars like this. And the sun and the moon. So the sun comes on the fourth day. Light came on the first day. But the sun and the moon come on the fourth day. So we see, you know, that first day, God is the light. We're told that over and over in Scripture. And on the fourth day, he fills the expanse with what we call the heavenly bodies. And then on the fifth day, what was the second day? What did he separate? The waters. Yeah, the waters above from the waters below. And, and so um, he's going to fill the expanse. In, or sorry, that was on the fourth day with the, the heavens, but we're going to do the sky, the expanse that we see, not the one way up in the heavens, but this expanse below the clouds. He's going to fill it up with what? Birds, Birds right. Those are what are up in that sky. <laughs> there is no cow in any sky that I've ever seen. Okay, and then on, on the earth, he um, or in the sea, rather, he's going to put all the fish and the sea creatures of all kinds, all kinds of sea creatures. And then on the sixth day, he's going to fill, we had the separation, the waters from the earth, and so he's going to fill the earth. And that's where all of the land beasts were created. Now, the sixth day is a special day, and it's the last day of creation, not the seventh day. The sixth day is the last day of creation. And on this last day, after all of the animals have been created, after all these, the earth is, is filled, then God creates man. And it's like it's the epitome of his creation. It's the apex. And it's like everything is being set up for this last great moment when he creates man. This is not what the world is teaching us anymore. Is teaching that man is no different than any other beast that's created, or in their case, evolved. And that isn't what God teaches. He teaches that man is actually created special, and he's created on the sixth day. So that final act of creation, um, we're going to look at it, and if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26, this is where God is telling us about what he did on that sixth day when he created man. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So the our there, the plural, let us, is referring to the Trinity. It's referring to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. And he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He didn't say that about any of the animals. He only said this about man. And let them, you notice, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over, every, uh, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he's setting up man... And the word there for man is Adam in the Hebrew, and Adam means um, mankind. It also means the, the man Adam, but it, it here is referring to mankind. 
um, is ruling over all the things that have already been created. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Here it is. Male and female, he created them. So on that sixth day of creation, it's not just Adam, but Eve as well was created. And so male and female. God blessed them, male and female, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. That was the intention. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So that means like even the lions were eating grass. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. Very good. Very good. His creation is very good. Man is not evil, as many would say, that we are the ones who are destroying everything. Like we have a problem, that's for sure, and we're going to be talking about it more in the next time that, that I'll be teaching. But man was created very good, and so was all of God's creation. It wasn't um, created to be destroyed. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now I know, like I'm not out of it, I know that many teach that it was over this huge amount of time. But I'll tell you, my position is what the Bible says right here. And this I can always be confident in. And really, the only one who ever, ever was there told us how it was done. And so what he says, I'm counting on. And when I see him face to face, I don't have to be ashamed of not believing him. So that's where I stand. You can do what you do, but I'm sticking with what God says here, that on the sixth day, he created mankind. And so, um, but the account's not over. For some reason, they decided to put chapter 2 starting next, which I don't think it should start until verse 4 of chapter 2. So I'm going to add in that last little bit, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2, into the creation account. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, like it's done. It's, it's all there. All the DNA that mankind is ever going to need is within Adam, period. Like Adam the man, because Eve is going to come out of Adam. And so all is there, as well as everything else that God has created. And um, I'm not doing a whole creation thing. There's lots more that I could say on this. We've done workshops with Becky many times, um, going into detail here, and they're very good. But um, there's lots that we can read about, you know, all the things that were contained in the different animals that were created, and it makes for great reading. But the heavens and the earth were completed, and all of their hosts, by the seventh day, God... 
um, com completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. Now think about this. It means that his work of creation is finished. So he's saying it's done, and now he rests. And if God rests, he's giving a pattern for us. Rest is not something that we all cling to in our culture. Like our culture, it's all about being busy. And if you're not busy, well, then what are you? Like we, we just don't admire it if you're not busy. And we say, oh, I don't want to be so busy, but we don't actually do that. And so um, God is giving us a pattern to rest on that seventh day from all his work which he had done. And it says, and God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it or set it apart as different from the other six days. And he, um, because in it, he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So he made all of the heavens and the earth. He didn't just sort of set things in motion and then sit back. It says that he created everything. And he created each thing unique. Like I think it's amazing. Just in this one room, we're all so different. And think of all the millions of people that live on the planet of the earth, we're all different. And think of all you know, the billions now who have lived since the beginning to today, every single one of us is different. Wow, what a creative God we have. He's endlessly creative. And we're, that's just people. Flowers and trees and grasses and rocks and all these other things, um, all so different. All of the things that fill all that he made, all so different because God is so creative and he made us in his image, which is why we like to create as well. It's just in each one of us and we create in all different ways, not just in, in things that we make, material things, but creative thought, scientific thought, which is wonderful, um, all these different ways that we create. And we, we are like the one who made us in his image. And so <clears throat> right from the beginning, he's made us this way. And he also said what his purpose was when he said it. He said... Um, that he created man in his own image. He blessed them, and then he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So fruitfulness is something that is pleasing to God. He wants us to be fruitful, fruitful in so many ways, in procreating for sure, but also in having um, those creative thoughts, in being uh, fruitful, in producing fruit by our actions so that we have good actions and good fruit comes from a good tree. So all these things, he's calling us to be fruitful and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. So really five things is, are said right in that one sentence of what his purposes are. And so he reveals his purpose. I want to go back now to um, that sixth day because then in verse 4 of chapter 2, we're going to get the details. And people get confused by this. But um, this is actually a pattern in Scripture that you get the big picture and then you get detailed afterwards. And people go, well, I saw it this came before that came. Well, it's because they just we just had the big picture given to us. And now we're going to get the detail. So in chapter 2, we get the detail of the sixth day. This is the account of the heavens and the earth. That would be um, the same way of saying um, it can be uh, translated, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, which is um, a key 
term all the way through the book of Genesis before it starts each new section. These are the generations of. And so this one is the first one. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. And it um, says, So no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is the only... um, creation that this is said of is mankind where God breathed into him into his nostrils the breath of life and man became in my version in the new American standard it says a living being um, but in the margin it says soul in the King James it says soul and in other versions as well and that word soul is nefesh in the Hebrew which is talking about something very unique And nefesh, actually, um, nef is breath. So the breath of God is in mankind. Like the very breath of God is what gives us life and makes us different and makes us cognizant beings. Like we are self-aware. And um, there's so much of what God has done in us that is special and different. So that nefesh is because God breathed it into us. So we see then after um, God breathed into us, he made us unique by creating us in his image. Then it says in verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So man wasn't formed in Eden, like God then created um, Eden for him to be placed in it. And so he placed man into Um, this beautiful garden, Eden, and I mean, we've all heard descriptions of it. Lots of books have been written that um, use the imagery of Eden as being the idyllic place, and it was idyllic. It was perfect. It was created um, perfectly and perfectly for man to live in and to enjoy. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then it goes to talk about the rivers and um, the gemstones and things like that. But if we move down to verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So work was always designed for us. It's later it became toil. But work is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And, you know, we're designed to do that, to, to be makers, to be creators. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but, but, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So with the, God, with the command God gives, the consequence, if they disobey that command. One command. Wouldn't you love it if we only had one rule from government? One thing that we had to do. Surely, surely we could do that one thing. 
you would think. <clears throat> but that's next time. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I find this very interesting because it, it tells us we're still in the sixth day because remember it just said it's not good for man to be alone and yet at the end of the sixth day God said he looked on all his creation it was very good. So we're still in that sixth day of creation before the end when man and woman are both created, male and female. And so, um, and this is something that we are starting to get very confused about in our culture. So um, he says it is not good, and he says in verses 19 to 20, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So God's giving to man the ability to name all of um, you know, the, the animals, basically, and the birds. And naming is a sign of rulership. It's a sign of being... Um, in governance over it. And so he gets to name them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So none of the beasts of the field, even though we like dogs, they're not a suitable helper. So it's not saying that it's not companionship. It's not saying that there's not some sort of friendship. We're talking about suitability. And in that understanding of suitability, we're talking about a mate. And none of them are found to be a mate. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned it into a woman, the rib which he had taken from the man. Can God form from the dust of the ground? Yes, he can, because he did that with man. But he chose this time to do it a different way. And he took from Adam the rib of Adam, and he fashioned it into the woman. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, or in the Hebrew, isha, because she was taken out of man, in the Hebrew, ish. And so we see that um, woman is created out of man. And we'll look at that last verse in a minute. But it's a suitable helper. And um, this, this ish and isha, it's not ish-ish. It's not ish, oh, I'm not sure what the other thing is. It's ish, isha. In other words, it's man and woman. This is actually how God created it. This is God's intention. He is the maker of all of us, whether we acknowledge it or not. And this is what we come to as his people, but people of the world, period, man and woman together. And so um, for this reason because she was taken out of man, because God created them to be together. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Remember, Adam has no father and mother, so this is a pattern for all mankind. So for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. 
it's shocking that we have such a problem with this today. It's so clear. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So I like to call that, um, um, it's not like it came up with me, but it's a um, leaving and a cleaving. So leaving one and cleaving to the other. Leaving the parental group and cleaving to his wife. And so um, what we see, it's the same pattern as what God did in creation. Remember the first three days, it's separating. He separated, you know, the expanse above and the expanse below, the light from the darkness, the dry land from the, the water. And in the last three days, it's fruitfulness, like the fruitfulness of, you know, the, the heavens, the expanse, so the sun and the moon and the stars, the fruitfulness of the sky with the birds, the fruitfulness of the earth with the cattle, and the fruitfulness of having mankind. And so we see the same thing. There's separation and fruitfulness. So a leaving and a cleaving. And it's the same thing with the believer and the world. There's a leaving from the world, a cleaving to God that produces fruitfulness. And fruitfulness comes out of that relationship with God. It doesn't come from loving and staying in the world. We have to leave it in order to be fruitful. And so we see this with Adam. He must leave in order to cleave and be fruitful. And when God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, this was God's plan of how that would be done. So um, here is the account uh, given to us of creation from the only one who was there. Okay, so um, <clears throat> we have this pattern for all mankind that's given to us. And if you look at back at verse um, 128, just that's, that is our purpose, once again, to look at it. And look at it not just with the eyes of Adam and Eve, but the eyes of you today. How are you going to fulfill this original command that God gave to all mankind? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, we think of marriage and we think of having children as, as fulfilling this, but there are many ways to be fruitful and to multiply as well. And I'm sure that for each one of us, God has spoken to us in a, in a little bit different way of how to go about doing that. To fill the earth, to subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That, that's actually our mandate. But how do we do this? How do we go about doing that, especially given that things didn't go so well? We know that Eden didn't last for very long. And, um, you know, next time we'll talk about uh, the fall. But how do we go about doing that today? How do we go about being fruitful and multiplying? And really what God is leading us to is an understanding of covenant. Because our God is a covenant-keeping God. He didn't say, if you do this one thing, then you'll be able to do it on your own. He was there at creation. He did all of the creating. And remember, I pointed out that it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that were at creation. Jesus created us knowing 
that one day he would come and die for us. He knew that right from the beginning. He knew that before we were created that we would need his salvation. So God knew that we would not do so well, and yet still he gave us choice. He could have taken the choice away. That was up to him. He didn't have to give us free will, but he chose to because he wants that same kind of give and take. Just as he chose, he created us in his image to also choose. And so <clears throat> we have that um, covenant that he gave to us. And I just want to go to that next slide because covenant is a solemn binding agreement between two parties. And this is what we're going to see each time we talk about covenant. And here, God is really, this is what I would call the first covenant. When he creates man, he says, this is what you're going to do, and these are the conditions, and this is what's going to happen if you don't meet that condition. Um, in this particular case, he says, you know, I'm going to put you in Eden, and you can stay in Eden, but you can't eat from that tree if you're going to stay in Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not because God was holding back. It's because he's keeping us from evil. And so, um, and believing him. It's all about believing him. But the very first covenant he gives to us to make is the marriage covenant. Marriage is not a Christian tradition only. Marriage is not something that came out of the Jewish tradition. Marriage came out of creation. When God created on the sixth day, he gave us marriage as well, that covenant between a man and a woman. So it's not sort of like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a Christian, so I don't need to get married. It's actually given for all mankind. And we see all traditions have marriage in their tradition. And it's because that's the way God created us. That is the way that is the natural way to love one man with one woman. And so that is the way to fruitfulness, that's the way to multiplying, that's the way to filling the earth, that's the way to subduing and to ruling in goodness, not in evil, in covenant, not in brokenness, um, man with woman, not man with beast or man with man. So we know that evil has come um, into the world and evil is always trying to disrupt what God has naturally put into place. And by naturally, I mean in creation, in the beginning. Um, but evil, it's always there to attempt to destroy the good that God has done, God's plan for us. And we see it all the time. We see it with divorce. We see it with homosexuality. We see it with gender confusion. We see it with unfruitfulness. We see it in all kinds of ways. I'm targeting these in particular because of the topic today. But we see evil manifested in many, many, many different ways. These are just some of them. Do we have grace? Does God have grace? When I sin, does God have grace with me? He absolutely does. And so that's what we see is his grace. So why is it that we're not struck down when we go against, when we contravene what he intended? Because God has grace and he has mercy. And he is willing to wait and call each one to repentance. In his grace he waits. He doesn't say, well, you know, done for you and out with you like the queen of hearts, you know, off with your head. He says, I have grace. 
and I am calling each one to myself. And God says, my heart is that you come to me. That is my heart. And we cannot do anything about our difficult situation that we're found in when we are in the place of evil. There's nothing we can do to rectify anything. We can say we're sorry, but it doesn't change what happened. Only God can redeem, and only God can restore. And he says, come to me, and redemption is mine. He says, I will redeem, and I will restore. So, um, you know, we say those particular sins that I just listed, we say, I'm not guilty of those ones, so I'm good. Don't worry, you added your heap to the pile. So we're all guilty. We're all in the same boat. Whether it's one sin or another, we're all in that same boat. But God, God is greater than all our sin. His love knows no bounds. Even before creation, he knows that it's going to take his love coming to redeem us, who will turn away even though we are given everything we need for a wonderful, beautiful life. He knows that we're going to reject it. And so he planned right from the beginning that way of redemption through Jesus Christ. And I loved it when, um, well, I loved all the, the music, but when Reg said, you know, he quoted, Jesus, 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 the sweetest name I know. Like it's him who has given us that way of salvation. It's him who has given us that way of redemption. And no matter what the sin no matter what we have done, no matter how mixed up or confused our mind has been, no matter what has been our past, he is standing there to redeem us. And even when we already took advantage of his salvation and then turned away, he beckons us back. And he calls us to that. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son or his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So I would just um, encourage you as we are embarking on these um, seeing covenant throughout, the theme of covenant throughout the scriptures to enter into covenant with God himself through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm going to ask you um, to stand. I'm just going to read um, out of this. As we think about knowing our covenant-keeping God, he undergirds us. And to go back to those original questions, to ask yourself, do you fully trust God? Do you know his heart of love for you? If not, it's all in the pages of these scriptures. And I want to read to you, Um, Psalm 119, verses 26 to 29. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, coming here into this congregation with one another. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities. 
both locally and abroad and for all ages. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation, so all are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.